You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You're listening to the CRX Podcast. The CRX Podcast provides an added benefit for healthcare professionals and readers of the CRX Magazine, a leader in reliable information and news about medical cannabis. The CRX Podcast will provide the latest discussions about cannabinoid products as part of a patient's treatment plans and deliver the latest education about medical cannabis for pharmacists, physicians, and innovative healthcare providers. Hello, this is Joseph Friedman with the CRX podcast. Uh, This is a new podcast that we're very excited to launch. It's going to be based on articles in the CRX magazine. And I'm thrilled to have with us today uh, two experts. Uh, One is a nurse, another is a pharmacist. I'm also a pharmacist. And we're going to be talking about the article that's in the winter 2021 edition of CRX magazine having to do with um, cancer. It's, you know, the name of the article is Cancer, the Cancer Pain Conundrum, and we're gonna be bringing in two experts. Uh, Eloise, why don't you go ahead and you know, spend a minute and tell everyone about yourself. Thank you so much, Joseph. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Eloise Thiessen, and I'm an adult geriatric primary care nurse practitioner board certified. I've been working in nursing for over 20 years with most of my background in oncology. And the last seven years, I've focused on cannabinoid therapies, where I've worked with close to 7,000 patients who want to use cannabis as a treatment modality. I'm also the current president of the American Cannabis Nurses Association and will continue my presidency through the end of 2021. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Radical Health and Radical Health Clinician Network, Uh, a training and education company that puts together evidence-based curriculum for nurses and other healthcare professionals. And I'm also the chief nursing officer for LEAF411, which is a nonprofit organization and a hotline, a free hotline for the public for anyone who wants to talk to a cannabis-trained nurse who may have questions about their use. Fantastic. And, and, uh, And we also have Joe Jeffries, pharmacist, uh, joining us on this podcast. And Joe, uh, why don't you tell everyone about yourself? Thanks, Joe. Uh, great to be here. Great to see you again. And, and you, Eloise. Um, I am uh, a third generation pharmacist. Uh, I spent my early career as a, a pharmacy director for a community pharmacy chain. Um, and then the latter part of my career as a hospital pharmacy director uh, at a, uh, a critical access hospital in southeastern Ohio. And there I helped develop a, an addiction treatment center outpatient. Uh, we used Vivitrol injections uh, to treat uh, patients on her- for heroin and opiate addiction. And that uh, in turn also got me interested in the medical marijuana space. Uh, met our the CEO that I work for now at Pharmaceutical Rx, which is a multi-state a medical marijuana uh, operation, uh, and I'm now the pharmacy director for that company. Uh, so it's been a, just a pleasure to meet with, gosh, we've had uh, you know, a couple thousand patients so far uh, at our dispensary in Ohio and to meet the different uh, treatments that the pa- patients are using medical marijuana for and understand and help them through that process has been just a joy, and I look forward to speaking with you both. 
Great. Well, let's let's just go. You know, get right into it. Um, again, this is going to be based on the article in in uh, CRX magazine, also uh, Cannabis RX magazine. You know, Joe or Eloise, just just go ahead and and and, and chime in. So, so how robust is the research pointing toward the role of cannabis in the prevention of chronic pain? And you know, and chronic pain can be, you know, a lot of different things. It could be from fibro or cancer or you know surgery any number of conditions so you know go ahead and and just let me know you know what you think about that Eloise <laughs> thank you <laughs> um, well we do have the National Academy of Sciences Engineering and Medicine report that came out in 2017 where they did review i believe over 10,000 peer reviewed articles and came out with their report on the health effects of cannabis and cannabinoids. And they did find substantial evidence to support cannabis and cannabinoids are effective for chronic pain, particularly in multiple sclerosis um, and neuropathic pain. So I do think we have uh, quite a, bu a bunch of robust research out there, not particularly in cancer pain, but in other types of chronic pain. Great. And, and, and Joe, you know, what do you think about the, the research that, that points towards cannabis use in the prevention of chronic pain? Well, you know, you, you can see from this article in CRX, uh, you know, the, sometimes the frustration that comes out in, in the not only what Eloise just said in terms of you know, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of studies to, to, to treat uh, chronic pain, uh, but there's not a lot in the cancer space. And that's understandable. Uh, I mean, it'd be difficult uh, to to do a study like that. Uh, but the other difficulty is is obtaining. Um, you know, the, the pharmaceutical industry, you know, kind of wants to do it as a as a uh, studying isolates of of the different cannabinoids, and and not. And it's difficult to study the whole plant. And I think uh, it was we'll find out from our discussion. Sometimes the whole plant uh, is the most successful anecdotally. Right. And then, you know, just from the article, uh, you know, the studies that were done uh, were done with the existing um, products that are around the world, Nabixamols and some other, the other Nabilone. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's always going to be, uh, you know, interesting results when you just use an isolate, like you said, Joe, um, you know, from the, compared to using, you know, whole plant cannabis. And um, so, you know, here, here's another question that came up. Um, how well do you think that research translates to cannabis being used to treat cancer pain? So that just a, is a good lead into this question. So, Joe, what do you think? Well, it, it is, uh, you know, as you're trying to speak to physicians, and I was just on a call with an oncologist yesterday, uh, you know, they can see it helping their patients, but most physicians are going to want those robust, randomized, controlled studies and they just you know there's not a lot out there in terms of the whole plant and and then when you do the isolate studies they're not as um uh as positive uh, for the benefits associated with with those specific cannabinoids you know and it's interesting i mean there was a a very comprehensive study that was done in israel where they actually showed some benefit 
you know, from using, you know, medical cannabis, and they were actually using whole plant, you know, but, but there's flaws in that study. Uh, it, there was no control group. In addition, 25% of the participants died, you know, uh, before the study was over, which was six months. So, you know, there's just a lot of things that, that, that are going on where we really want to see robust, double-blinded, placebo-controlled clinical studies, but that really hasn't been done yet. So, so Eloise, in what ways does it appear that cannabis mitigates the side effects of treatment that you've seen, such as nausea and the lack of appetite? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I appreciate people wanting that gold standard of double blind, you know, randomized placebo studies. It's incredibly hard to have those type of studies right now because of the federal status of cannabis as a schedule one drug. Um, and if we do actually get authorization to do a study, the cannabis that comes out of Mississippi doesn't actually accurately reflect what patients are using in states that have either a medical or adult use program. Um, you know, uh, observationally and historically, patients have been using cannabis for thousands and thousands of years. And we have studied it from, you know, the perspective of harm. And we know that cannabis is incredibly safe. In many cancer patients, you know, they are using it for symptom management and often because they are going to Dr. Google or their friends to get that information. And we do, you know, we did have a meta-analysis in 2020 that was a retrospective study looking at the use of cannabis for cancer pain. And I think what was really interesting was they measured both physical and emotional symptoms and found that patients who were using medical cannabis had significantly, significantly improved pain as well as emotional symptoms compared to those who did not use uh, medical cannabis and just opioids. Um, they also found that there was a 33% reduction in opioid consumption when used in combination with uh, medical cannabis. So we know that there's definitely a synergistic effect there. Um, and many patients are wanting to avoid opioid use at this point. I'm right. seeing well, great success. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and there is, you know, the idea that there is good synergistic activity between cannabis and opioids. I mean, you know, the whole idea that you can reduce the dose of, of the opioid, uh, which would be a lot safer for the patient long term while using cannabis is, is a great advantage. Joe, uh, have you experienced any of that in, in your dispensary? I have, and I'm glad you brought that synergy point up. I, I, I think it's, um, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't like to use the word synergy uh, only because there's sort of, there's, there's this connotation that there, there's going to be an additive effect of opiates and marijuana, where I like to look at it as more complementary or an adjuvant therapy. I, you know, the best analogy that I can come up with is Tylenol and Motrin. You know, what happens now when a, when a child or an infant is, it goes to the emergency department and they have a fever, uh, the, what they'll suggest to the, the parent is, you know, start with Tylenol and then use Motrin in between. And they, they're not synergistic. They don't make each other work better necessarily, but they're mitigating the side effects of either one. And I think that's the beauty, uh, the potential of of marijuana uh, with patients. But gosh, I mean, there's just dozens of stories of patients reducing their opiate therapy or eliminating it uh, after using uh, marijuana. And I, I and, and it's it's so it's so rewarding to see that that's their goal, and they're able to do it with 
with either whole plant or, uh, you know, even with uh, uh, drops, isolate drops, uh, sublingually. It's, it's, a, it's a great feeling. And you know what, the, the, the limit of the research, uh, you know, we really have to get this rescheduled at the federal level. I remember reading an article uh, last August, actually in August of 2019, where it, it was a study that showed a non-cannabinoid, non-psychoactive cannabis flavonoid has the potential to help treat pancreatic cancer. And, you know, this study was done. And again, I don't want to raise expectations or saying, you know, we found the silver bullet for pancreatic cancer. But there is something here, and it should be researched. So, um, with that said, um, you, know, you know, cancer patients undergo, um, you know, treatment, chemotherapy, radiation. Um, Eloise, have you seen how patients that are using cannabis, you know, having it help them with radiation therapy, for example? Yeah, especially the anxiety that can come, um, you know, in patients maybe who are getting whole brain radiation and have to have that mask on, that can be very anxiety producing for them. So I've definitely helped them manage their anxiety, um, sometimes the skin irritation that can come from radiation, and sometimes if they're getting bowel issues like diarrhea, uh, sleep, you know, so a lot of times the symptoms can come from the treatment itself or just the, you know, the anxiety and stress around the treatment. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's a big point there because, you know, when we do, you know, see a, a patient coming in for the first time uh, who has cancer, has been diagnosed, you know, they're, they're going to be, you know, they're going to have one or two mindsets. One is they've given up all hope, they've tried chemotherapy, cannabis is, you know, they're, they're, hopefully their last shot at, at trying to, you know, cure the disease. Um, and then there's the other side of the of the uh, equation, which is the palliative side. What you mentioned, Eloise, with with pain, with anxiety, with depression, um, with appetite. So you know there there is a lot that we can do for patients that are walking in, you know, with cancer that are done with chemotherapy or want to try to use cannabis along with their chemotherapy. Joe, have you had any uh, instances where cancer patients, you know, that you've seen are interested in using cannabis as well as their chemotherapy? Yes. Uh, in, in fact, the, the, the patient that really comes to mind uh, is a patient that, that has brain cancer. And she's been, she's been treated uh, with chemotherapy and radiation. And I was so glad that Eloise brought up the point of, uh, you know, we talk about this in this article is certainly about the pain associated with cancer treatment. But that, that's, that's, that's what makes marijuana so nice is it can treat those other palliative issues of anxiety and of nausea and of uh, you know, uh, cachexia even, and cachexia is, was even just added as a uh, as a qualifying condition in Ohio. But you know, I I, I actually called her in anticipation of this conversation. Uh, you know, to see how she's utilizing the marijuana. You know, is it for which particular symptoms is she treating it? And in, in her particular case, uh, she just gets a horrible anxiety from like six thirty to seven p.m. And, and, and just uh, using a vape pen at that time just eases that for her. So it's more anxiety for her, not necessarily nausea. And it does, it does the trick. And, and again, it's, it has so many effects that I think uh, are complementary uh, and, and can help in various symptoms associated with these treatments. 
And Eloise, I know you've seen quite a number of cancer patients have, you know, had, you know, one-on-one with them or just, you know, from your clinic experience, you know, and then, you know, how do you approach the, the, the cancer patient, you know, from the palliative side and also from the treatment side? It really is a conversation I have with them up front, you know, what their goals of care are. You know, there's definitely some preclinical data to demonstrate that cannabinoids can play a role in cancer cell death. And many patients will take that information and, you know, kind of get their hopes up, oh, cannabis can cure my cancer. And so um, a lot of it is having that conversation about what does the evidence really say, helping set expectations, um, clarifying any misinformation, and then focusing mostly on symptom management for them. And usually, you know, one one symptom at a time so that they can get used to cannabis and, and get some trust in it, um, you know, instead of feeling overwhelmed by the process. Right. Yeah. Many, many patients that, that came into my dispensary uh, were overwhelmed. And I think it's a good idea to ask them, what are your goals of therapy, whether it be pain or appetite or sleep, you know, and, and, and address those one-on-one as opposed to just trying to, you know, have cannabis be the end all for, for that patient. So, um, so Joe, and then Eloise, I want to ask you both this question, but what are the most significant obstacles to research on the role of cannabis in cancer treatment? Um, and, you know, and then again, what has been your experience using cannabis with or without chemotherapy for cancer treatment? Now, I know, you know, we've touched on this before, but I think if you have anything additional to add to that, that would be great. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of touched on it a little bit um, previously about the Schedule One status and how difficult it is for us to study it here in the U.S. We are seeing some pretty good research come out of Israel and, of course, um, other countries that really helps us understand the role of cannabis in cancer treatment and symptomology. I think we've seen a couple uh, studies come out recently, which of course are small, um, you know, usually anywhere between 20 and 40 patients, but they're using cannabis with chemotherapy. And for the most part, we don't see any negative effects on the anti-tumor effects of the chemotherapy. Um, immuno, immunotherapy in cannabis, I would say that the research is inconclusive and there's some evidence that cannabis can decrease the response rate um, with immunotherapy and cannabis use. So we definitely need more research there. And, 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 and when you talk about immunotherapy and, and how the research is inconclusive, are we talking about THC or CBD or just the combination? Right now, it's primarily, I believe, THC. Um, and in Israel, one study was looking at THC um, less than and greater than 10%. Um, CBD concentrations were really, really low. So at this point, you know, there's some um, speculation that THC may decrease T cell production um, in certain dosages. And, you know, we haven't dived into those specific dosages or milligrams of THC in these studies because they're retrospective. Right. And I guess that, you know, sort of gives me a sort of a sub question uh, for you, Eloise, is, is when you talk to these patients, do you talk about a particular protocol or is it going to be very patient specific as far as the dosing and the protocol and the route of administration? 
I think cannabis is best when it's individualized. You know, we certainly have, um, I've developed what I consider best practices because I've seen certain trends, you know, so for anxiety, for example, I might start with a, a high CBD protocol because I think that's well tolerated and, and has, you know, very few side effects. Um, and they can be successful quite quickly with something like that. Um, but again, it really does come down to the patient's goal of care, what they have access to. And of course, um, their, their support system, you know, like we've both mentioned, you know, when they come into the dispenser, they're incredibly overwhelmed. You know, it, most of the time these products are artisanal. So self-titration is important and that's not a skill set they generally have. I understand. And, and Joe, you know, what do you think about the significant obstacles to, to research? You know, I mean, we all are aware of schedule one, but do you see anything else? Well, the, the study you mentioned that, that that appears in this article is 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 a great example. I mean, they, you know, we have great studies coming out of Israel, but you know, in this case, about a third of the patients were either lost to you know, going to different dispensaries or they they died, and um, you know, it, it, there's just all kinds of uh, obstacles like that that uh, kind of preclude. Uh, uh, especially when it comes to trying to study the whole plant uh, uh, with these patients. Right. Well, consistency, I think, is a, is a real challenge. You know, all these various dispensaries with all these various products and consistency, as we all know, is, is a big issue. So, so what, if anything, is most understood about cannabis use by cancer patients, Joe? Well, this kind of goes hand in hand with the, not, not just cancer patients, but clinicians as well. I'll, I'll often get calls, uh, you know, what is the best treatment for pancreatic cancer or what's the best marijuana strain for colon cancer? And, you know, as we know, it's, it's not that simple. Uh, you're mainly treating the symptoms associated with these, these conditions, whether it's neuropathic pain or inflammatory pain uh, or, again, nausea and vomiting. Uh, so you're there's not necessarily one strain that's good for uh, a certain type of cancer. That's the one I've seen the most. Right, and Eloise, what do you think is a big you know, misconception um, by patients that are walking in uh, that are, are looking to use cannabis for, for their cancer? I would say they're the stigma. You know, this kind of goes into the, the last question, too, with research. I do think stigma inhibits our ability to fully research the plant because it is difficult to find participants. And that sort of, you know, folds into that misunderstanding because a lot of patients, when they hear about cannabis, may have some, um, you know, misconceptions. It's going to get me high. I'm, you know, I'm going to lose control. I'm going to hallucinate. So, um, and they think they have to smoke it right? That that's the only route of administration. So they, they don't really understand the complexity, of course, of the endocannabinoid system or that we even have one. And, you know, the plant itself is very complex with all of these different cannabinoids and flavonoids like Joe referred to, and of course, terpenes and tons of different routes of administration. So um, they really do have in, in several states, the ability to explore this plant in ways that they couldn't with other uh, treatment options. Right. And, and what do you think is, is, you know, the, the reason or what's behind all of these misunderstandings? Um, I would say 80 years of prohibition have <laughs> left, <laughs> um, you know, medical professionals sort of out of the loop 
And, um, you know, we, we've been misinformed for so long that we've, you know, again, we've only studied the plant from a perspective of abuse. And so and that's sort of, you know, that's what I was taught in, in nursing school. And it's, it's helping these patients really understand, you know, the current research, you know, one of the conversations I have with my cancer patients is about that quote unquote high, you know, we talk about THC and its euphoric effects. And sometimes that's a welcomed benefit. You know, they're often overwhelmed and anxious and, you know, unhappy and scared. And that little bit of euphoria may help them be more communicative and more patient, more open to their spouse um, it might improve their consciousness. So, you know, I think we need to be okay with, you know, helping them through that process as a welcome side effect when they're going through, you know, such a, a hard time in their life. And, you know, that, that, that brings up another question is, okay, there's dispensaries all over the country um, where medical cannabis or recreational cannabis is legal. You know, what is your vision, um, you know, Joe, of, you know, when a patient walks into a dispensary, um, what are they experiencing now versus what they should be experiencing? Well, uh, first of all, I love how Eloise put that. Uh, it's so important to, to uh, you know, help these patients understand that the, the high isn't necessarily a bad thing, the, the euphoria that they can experience. You know, I often say, it's not such a bad thing if you get a smile on your face. And but going back to your question, Joe, uh, there's so much anxiety associated with just walking into a dispensary in the first place. And 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 that should be put someone at ease. I, I you know, I had a bad experience uh, myself going into a dispensary in Colorado. It was just completely overwhelming. Uh, you know, you you have no idea all the different types of products, what you should pick, what you shouldn't pick. And you need some guidance there, especially if we're trying to treat something as serious as cancer pain to, to kind of help these patients get started so that it's not so overwhelming. So my hope is that there will be some kind of healthcare professional there to not only guide the patients on what products to pick and what routes of administration to pick and what doses to pick, but to help to know that there's someone there that understands their condition that they're treating. Yeah. And then Eloise, what, what do you think, um, you know, like put on your, 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 your future glasses and, you know, five years from now, where is this industry going to be? What do you think? And, and how is this going to, you know, be for the patient or are, are we just, you know, looking at the big MSOs, you know, multi-state operators and, 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 and the fact that they're publicly traded and, uh, you know, the idea of, of opening up these dispensaries and, and just really putting in $15 an hour employees and selling as much, you know, pot as possible. Uh, I mean, where do you think things are going to be in five years? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I share in Joe's um, hopes to see, you know, more of a collaborative effort in the industry among, you know, healthcare professionals and, you know, dispensary staff um, and, and even higher level executives in this industry. You know, in, in oncology, I'm used to such a collaborative effort. I mean, my pharmacists were, you know, I was always going to my uh, pharmacist uh, when giving chemotherapy or working with my cancer patients. Uh, so I, I would really like to see 
more healthcare professionals in dispensaries. You know, I, I can appreciate that as states legalize for adult use, we will see a lot of medical programs go away because it's it's just labor intensive and, and it, there's a lot more freedom in adult use, but I don't want us to stop taking this medicinal medical approach for patients who really do want to use it and have serious illnesses. And, you know, case in point, um, you know, there was, uh, you know, Nevada, if we just look at one state was medical. And then when it went to adult use, uh, patients were just left out. And I had a couple of pharmacists actually come to my dispensary wanting to shadow and learn more about it because they saw a real need for uh, expertise because a lot of these patients walking into these you know, adult use dispensaries you know, were, were, were able to get product, but they weren't able to get um, you know, the handholding and the professionalism that comes from a, a medical program. And so, you know, from the standpoint of that, what advice, you know, Eloise, do you, do, do you have for clinicians who may be considering recommending cannabis for the patients with cancer? You know, and, and, and what advice do you have for clinicians who are opposed? Yeah, and if I could just touch on what you just said, Joseph, about, you know, because um, California, when California went to adult use in 2018, you know, patients were no longer required to see a physician for authorization to use. And I think what, you know, I would like the industry to understand, especially these multi-state operators, is that when you have a healthcare professional there, you're going to get brand loyalty um, and brand credibility because you know when when people use this as their medicine, they're going to use it daily, several times a day. Um, and the more that a healthcare professional is involved, the more that they're going to engage that patient in that dispensary or in that brand or in that company to stay with them and help them achieve the results they need with those products. So. I think it's something that the industry doesn't really understand or see the value yet. Um, you know, of course, I'm going to advocate for nurses in every dispensary um, and collecting that data. You know, we have the ability to collect data to help really identify uh, market trends and what people are using and what's working and are there drug interactions. Um, my advice for clinicians, whether they're considering or not, is to become educated um, because, you know, the the train has left the station. We have, you know, 37 states plus DC with a medical program, 15 states plus DC with adult use, and 27 states have legislation in 2021 for legalization. <laughs> so, you know, we there's no turning back. Our patients are using it. Um, whether you agree with it or not, it's important to become educated so that we can provide them with safe access. And Joe, have you had any experiences with... Um... A, a clinician, a doctor, a patient comes in and, you know, who has cancer and their, their doctor just doesn't support it at all, doesn't believe it's going to be helpful and, and could be harmful. Uh, all the time. Uh, it happens all the time, Joe. And, uh, you know, usually a clinician who has had a family member uh, that has had cancer or who's tried marijuana, they, they, they go to the other side. Uh, but, you know, even Dr. Finn, who was quoted in this article, uh, you know, he's he's on the fence himself. But he says, look, uh, you know, you can't you you have to be prepared to guide patients. Uh, so you need to understand, you need to learn about, you know, the variables of marijuana, the strains, the cannabinoids, the routes of administration. You know, even he said, look, if I have a patient with terminal cancer, I'm not going to 
stop them from using marijuana if they need to. And, and you know, one great place that physicians can start besides educating themselves is to change their med recs, change their patient intake forms. Don't just say, do you use drugs? Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, separate out marijuana and, 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 you know, understand that it's not just smoke. What route of administration do you use for your marijuana? Uh, is it medical? Is it recreational? Is it, do you buy it on the street? That's so important to understand for that patient because there's so many issues that can come up if it's, say, it's street marijuana versus medical uh, from a medical program. So that's a great place to start. Change your intake forms so that you at least respect this as a medicine. You don't have to agree to prescribe it, but respect it so that you can help patients can guide your patients through this type of medicine. Great. And so we're, we're going to be closing up in a little bit, but I just wanted to ask you, Eloise, you know, if you have any parting comments, advice, um, opinions about this topic, uh, which is a very important topic. And if you can share that with the, uh, with the, with the listeners. Yeah, thank you, Joseph. And I really love what Joe just said about, you know, opening up that conversation for patients so that they can be transparent because often they will um, be afraid to disclose their use with their um, clinical team. And I think it's really important that, you know, we try to approach it from a non-judgmental perspective. Again, because, you know, I always want to keep them safe and try to reduce harm and, want to make sure they're actually not going to the streets to get their, their cannabis. Um, so, you know, I, I just always come back to education. I think education is the key. You know, if, if you're truly interested, there are plenty of, um, groups out there now, like the society of cannabis clinicians, there's actually an international cannabis pharmacy group. Um, and of course the American cannabis nurses association that really do provide, uh, evidence-based education, collaboration and resources. And if someone wanted to to uh, get in touch with you, Eloise, how would they do that? So they can reach me at info at Radical Healthcare, and that's R-A-D-I-C-L-E healthcare.com. Super. Uh, and, and Joe, uh, what are your parting comments? So I, I uh, totally agree uh, with Eloise and the that the train has left the station. We cannot just let this go by and not be a part of educating these patients and understanding why they're wanting to use marijuana to treat their pain or anxiety or other issues. Uh, in Southeastern Ohio, we say the cow's, cow's out of the barn. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, just, you know, again, back to my uh, synergy comment, you know, the marijuana can be it can be synergistic, but it can just also be complementary. Uh, it can help reduce the doses of other medications uh, and, and understand why that's the case. We're not going to go into it here, but, you know, it does not lower marijuana, does not lower respirations uh, and, and stop breathing like opiates do. That's why it's such a great complementary medicine. Uh, it, start there and educate yourself on why this is such an important medication right now. And if anyone had any questions, how can they reach you, Joe? Probably the best is, uh, you know, our parent company is PharmaceuticalRx.com uh, with an F as in Frank. And uh, my our particular dispensary in Ohio is FRXOhio.com. Great. And, and you know, I, Joe, you said something very important. Uh, I mean, no one 
in, in, in time of the human race has ever died of an overdose of cannabis. And oftentimes when a lot of these patients come in and they're at the end of their ropes, I mean, the most expensive drug is the one that doesn't work. And it's not that cannabis is going to work for everybody, but at least it's worth a try because it's not going to hurt you and it could definitely help you. So with all that, uh, thank you, Joe and, and Eloise. Um, it was a pleasure having you both on this uh, CRX co uh, podcast and um, have a good day and, and uh, happy listening, everyone. To find all the episodes from the CRX podcast, go to crxpodcast.com. To learn more about the latest advancements in medical cannabis, visit crxmag.com. That's crxmag.com. Thanks for listening.